0: And so, Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. Today, we will be looking at more of this wonderful Sermon on the Mount, teachings from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, The sermon is just rich with Christian doctrine, how to trust Christ, how to live in Christ, and not of our own making and our own doing. If you're able to stand in reverence for the reading of God's Word, let's do so. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Let's pray. Father God, we, we do thank you for your word. And God, I pray right now at this hour, you would speak to us personally, but also corporately, about the teachings of your son here. He makes a very bold claim. Yes, we can follow the legal ramifications of the law, but that doesn't mean that we are obeying. And so, God, I pray that you would cause us to see the truth here, that it is the heart that you judge, and it is from the heart that we live as your people. And I pray, God, that maybe this this text would resonate with someone Maybe someone here is dealing with some anger or animosity. Maybe someone here is dealing with tension with another. Lord, I pray that your word would heal. And I pray, God, that your word would speak true right now. You are our Lord. You are our God. And we love you. We trust you. Please be here and speak now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please have a seat. It's interesting that we live in a very unsettling time, and we've come to this text in Matthew chapter 5. To be honest with you, I'm at a point where um, I intentionally do not pay attention to the news anymore. Do we need to take care uh, Take care to understand what's happening in our community, in our world? Yes, we do. We need to be responsible citizens. We need to be responsible to know how to engage the world. But there also comes a point where the evil and the anger and the, the, the disgust is so great. I've gotten to the point where I can't really handle much of it anymore. Anger and animosity toward one another is as something that is very very much at the root of human sin. I mean, it, it's, it's the very first sin, if you recall. One of the first sins. The first sin was the disobedience of God, but then the first sin against one another. The first sin against man against man was a brother killing a brother. That was the first sin against one another. And it has become very much at the core of how we treat one another as human beings. We have animosity. We have anger. We hurt one another. Murder is one of the most horrendous forms of sin against one another, isn't it? It's, it's horrendous. I can't even imagine being there, taking a life of a fellow human being, but it is, whenever we hear this, it's, it's, it's shocking. it's, it's it cuts to our quick. It, we hear of murder and we hear of death all the time. Not just in wartime, but it's even more so now. It's becoming worse and worse in our society lives are being taken because someone looks at you wrong. Lately in the news, we have a young five-year-old boy who was just murdered last week. In the news. Now, that's taking up prominent news. A young five-year-old boy was shot in the head because he was riding his bicycle outside of the house of somebody and he woke him up from his nap or whatever and he walked out and shot him in his head. We hear stories like this and it hurts us, doesn't it? Jesus here is now speaking, beginning in verse 21, the rest of this chapter, Jesus is is taking teachings of the Old Testament and also teachings of the rabbinic law, and he's unpacking them with the people who are listening to this sermon and telling them that there is something greater here. You have heard that it was said. That's the theme of the rest of the, uh, chapter 5. You have heard that it was said passages. You've been taught this thing. Let me help you understand what you've been taught. There's something deeper here. So the theme of this passage that we just read and then all of the rest of the teachings here in the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus really, let's remind ourselves, is the fulfillment of the law. We looked at this last week, verses 17 through 20. Jesus makes it real clear. I'm not here to replace the Mosaic law at all. I'm here to fulfill it. Everything that the Old Testament law spoke about and taught and pointed to, I am he. He's standing there saying, I am what the law has been promising. I am the one to fulfill what the Mosaic law has said. And so likewise here. Jesus is saying that if you're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, remember the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus ushering in, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. If we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven, then we're also those who imitate Christ because Jesus is the one who establishes the kingdom of heaven, isn't he? And so if he's the one who establishes the kingdom and, and we are citizens of the kingdom, we then must imitate Christ. And that's what Jesus is now going to be unpacking even more so for the next couple of chapters here. Verses five, I mean, chapters five through seven of Matthew's gospel. And just as Jesus here, he is obedient to the law and the prophets. Jesus does not reject or rebel against the law. Instead, he fulfills it to its, to its perfection, doesn't he? And just as Jesus fulfills the law perfectly and he gives reverence and honor to the law, he's now expecting us to be obedient as well, but we know that's impossible, but the way to be obedient to the law is through a changed heart, to be that new person, that new man or woman in Christ. That's the only way to be obedient to what Christ is pointing to here. Now, the Ten Commandments, when we think about the Mosaic Law, the Ten Commandments, often called the Decalogue, if you've ever heard that term, they were really, they were an exegesis, they were an explanation, an enforcement of the law of God written on the hearts of his people. That's what they were intended to be. The, the Mosaic law had a purpose. The Ten Commandments had a reason. And if you remember the Ten Commandments, they were given often in negative form, right? All of the Ten Commandments were in that negative language, thou shalt not. You remember? Thou shalt not. Why is that? They were given to human beings who were corrupt in moral nature. How many of us can admit, honestly, that if we were left to our own devices, we are really just kind of corrupt people? If you were to be given free reign to do whatever you wanted, how many of us would willingly choose what is right without any kind of teachings or guidance as to what is morally right? You, mankind left on our own. we History makes it real clear. We, we fall hard and we fall horrendously hard. We are immoral people at our core. We are depraved human beings because of the fall of sin That original sin in the garden of disobeying God and doubting His holiness has led to... We have inherited Adam's sin. That's our curse. And so without some kind of moral guidance... We are wandering in darkness. And this is what, this was the purpose of the law. This was the purpose of the original Ten Commandments and then the Mosaic Law, the original Pentateuch, the first five books of the, of the Old Testament lays out exactly what God expects of His people. Now, the problem is that Mosaic Law became more expanded. It became corrupt because of, again, further human involvement. And so Jesus here in these you have heard that it was said passages, it's kind of touching on this. So the theme of Matthew chapter 5, that you have heard that it was said, is that Jesus who fulfills the law will also live out this law perfectly. And he's going to obey the will of his father. And his fulfillment is not merely outward appearance. Jesus, when he obeys his Father in heaven, he conforms exactly to God's will because he himself is God. And so the demands of the law have expectation. But these demands of the original Mosaic law was for a genuine, inward, spiritual, loving obedience. It was never intended for mankind, for God's people to obey out of obligation and conformity. Instead, the Mosaic Law was originally intended to, to reflect the interchange of who we are. And that's what Jesus is telling us here. So this, the original Mosaic Law was actually more precious to Jesus himself than just about anything else because God's will was the most important thing to Jesus himself. And if God's will was for his people to, to live out a certain way, then Jesus is not going to toss away what God lovingly gave us. And so Jesus not only teaches the purity of the commandments of the law, he also embodies the purity of the commandments because he lives out perfectly what these Ten Commandments say as no one else could. Now, the theme of this passage that we're looking at here in verses 21 through 26, it's out of anger, murder, anger, reconciliation between us. The you have heard that it was said passages, if you're taking notes, um, Every one, there are six of these for the rest of Matthew chapter five, dealing with anger and murder, lust of the heart, even divorce. Wait till we get to that one. That's going to be a fun one. That's always a fireworks sermon right there. Uh, taking oaths, keeping our keeping our word, retaliating out of anger, and loving one another, loving even your enemies. There's a lot here in chapter five over the next six weeks that we're going to be looking at. But if you look at the, you have heard that it was said of uh, passages. They primarily come out of Exodus chapter 20, the list of the Decalogue of the Ten Commandments, and even Deuteronomy chapter 5. If you don't recall, the Ten Commandments are recorded twice, once in Exodus 20, but also in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And Jesus is clearly ca- coming from there. But he also adds to it what the the rabbis taught so it's more than just the Ten Commandments. The you have heard that it was said passages refer both to, uh, the Mosaic, uh, the original Mosaic Law, but also the Rabbinic Law that was added to. Because what has happened here is that the Mosaic Law was expanded. And we're going to get into that. And what is Jesus trying to correct here? The teaching of the, of the religious leaders has corrupted his people. And the teaching of the, of the, of the religious leaders has misled people and led them astray. And Jesus is making a very clear point here. I am here to correct this and I want to show you the truth. The truth of my Father's will. Now we see in the New Testament from both the Apostle Paul and even John the Apostle that Jesus is to be imitated. That we as his people, we, we imitate Christ, but let me clarify this. Imitating Christ does not mean that we're puppets, that we just merely memor, that we uh, that we just mirror and mimic who Christ is. We do that, that's just an outward appearance. That's not the inner self. But Jesus Christ can be imitated. We're actually expected to be the image of Christ for others to see, right? We are to be the image of Christ in who we are, what we do. And Paul and John, both in the New Testament, show us these things. See, Jesus was born... Think about this. Even though Jesus was born in the flesh, Jesus was also sinless. Let's make sure that's clear. As Jesus follows the Mosaic Law, He's not doing so... Because he himself is a morally corrupt human being like we are. Let's make that clear. The reason the Mosaic Law was here was primarily because we are depraved, fleshly human beings. But Jesus being born in the flesh, although he was sinless and perfect, he is obedient to the law because he is... He's under the flesh nature of man, even though he's above it at the same time. But as he is incarnated, he is still in the nature of man. And he has to, that's part of what the incarnation means. Jesus steps into human nature. And as he steps into human nature, he is reflecting here the perfection of the Mosaic law. And so Jesus comes among us to show us how to perfectly obey the law. First John chapter 2, the apostle John in first John, his first epistle, tells us this. He did not come to impose a new law upon men. It was rather to awaken them a recognition of an old law enacted in them at their creation. First John chapter 2. Galatians chapter 4, flip over there, Galatians chapter 4 verses 1 through 5. Galatians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul unpacks this a little bit further, showing us exactly what Jesus was here to do under the law. Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. Now, remember, we looked at this last week. The Mosaic law is actually seen as a guardian until Christ comes. And it was Christ who fulfills all of that. Verse 3, in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has set the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so that you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You see, as Paul is showing us here, the reason that Jesus is really in, in Matthew's gospel, in the Sermon on the Mount, He's showing the purpose and the value of of the law. Jesus himself, even though he is above the law, he was born under the flesh of his mother. So he was under the law for that purpose, but for that purpose alone, he was there to redeem us out of that burden, to release us into a fulfillment of the law that could never happen apart from Christ. You see that? So for Jesus, obedience to the law was actually further obedience to his Father in heaven and actually an act of redemption for us to show us what the fulfillment of the law should be. Not out of action, but out of the heart. That we would become children of God. That we would obey him not out of terror, but out of love. Right? See, because Jesus wanted to obey His Father and He wanted to please Him. So now let's look back here at Matthew chapter 5. And we will look here at verse, t- verses 21 through 22. These verses relate directly to Exodus chapter 20. We said, Deuteronomy chapter 5, the verse 21, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. Y'all remember that one in the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt not kill. Taking a life is, again, like I said, one of the most horrendous sins that we can hear about, much less experience. There's something just horrendous about it, And we have to figure out why. Why is it so overwhelming to us when we experience the death of someone, especially at the hand of murder? There's something precious here. And Jesus is kind of helping us see. Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 18. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but take notes if you wish. But notice here when Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. But then he goes further. And whoever murders will be liable to the judgment. Now, whoever murders will be liable to the judgment is not part of the original Ten Commandments. That is the expansion of the law. Deuteronomy chapter 16 helps us see parts of that. You shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns that the Lord your God has given you according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. So God even established a sense of justice and a judgment uh, system in the very beginning. Even in Exodus chapter 21, verses 12 through 14, we see, whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. That is a further explanation of the first commandment there, you shall not murder. And so we see how much Jesus really obeys the Father in heaven here by fulfilling this important command. Jesus is teaching even more. He's going to expand. You have heard that it was said. He cherished Jesus himself. This is how he lives this out. Verse 22 of Matthew chapter 5. He says this, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to the judgment... Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Now, what's he saying here? How many of us have ever experienced road rage on the street? Nobody's going to commit, uh, confess to that. (laughs) Just, I see little hands going up here like this. A little bit of shame there, right? We've all been there. Uh, Ron and I uh, went down to Nashville last night. Uh, I had to, I was at a, a graduation and commencement ceremony for a college I'm, I'm teaching with this year. And I'm telling you what, there were some crazy people on Interstate 40 going to Nashville. Has anybody experienced that? Yeah. I wanted to slam on my brakes and let them hit me in the back or swerve them off. You know, you, 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 you're tense in, you're tense in that moment, aren't you? Anger toward one, and, and when that happens, if we are angry toward someone else in a, in our community, we are liable to the civil authorities of our community. Amen. Can we get a witness to that? If we, if we actually follow through on our road rage, who are we then liable to? Gonna to be liable to the police. <laughs> Gonna be liable to the insurance companies. Uh, Let's pray that you don't hurt somebody. You're going to be held accountable by human authority. And who established human authority? It was God himself who established, he does establish all human authority. We are called by that in, in God's word to obey that. And so Jesus here, but how does he, he, what he's saying here is if you do these things, you're going to be liable to the government. But what does he say? He he takes it even further here. Verses 23 through 26, he's really saying this is not just an action that needs to uh, to be dealt with, it is something that goes deeper. Look here at verse 23. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Now he's taking this a little bit deeper. Yes, in verse 22, if you are angry with someone, you're liable to the civil government. But in verse 23 and 24, if you are angry with someone and you're coming to the altar of God, now you've got a greater authority here that you're going to be held accountable to. How many people have ever... Come to church on Sunday morning. And literally, before you walk in those doors, you and your family are screaming at one another in the car. Has that ever happened? Have you ever gotten up on Sunday morning just to get ready to come to church and the tension in the house could be cut with a knife? It's so thick. Have we ever come to the Table of our Lord, we, we do communion here the first Sunday of every month. That's our tradition. And if you, remember, if, you, if you recall, every time that we come to the table of the Lord, I go through 1 Corinthians chapter 11, reminding us that we are to examine our hearts. Do we have animosity toward anyone else before we partake of these elements? There's nothing mystical about this. There's nothing magical about this. But it is a command of Scripture to meditate and examine our souls. If we have animosity and anger toward anyone, it is better to pause, go and reconcile with that fellow brother or sister and then come back to the presence of the Lord and give your right due to Him. Whether that be giving your offerings at the altar, whether that be coming and giving your praise at the altar and worship and song, whether that be reading God's Word in community together. If you have any kind of anger or fear or, or stress in your life towards someone else, Jesus is making it clear that is the exact same thing as murdering them in your heart. And that must be reconciled. Why is that? It's one thing to act in anger and anger leading to murder physically. It's another thing to have anger in your heart and literally be murdering the person in your mind and in your thoughts. Can we all admit that we have fantasized of putting our hands around the throats of somebody that we're angry with, maybe even just for a minute, just for a brief second, or grabbing them by the ears and shaking them? If you're angry with someone, do you fantasize in your imagination and in your mind what you're going to do to them? Jesus saying that is just as equal as if you physically crush their skull. Now, this is a very deep, deep teaching he's talking about. He's saying you need to go reconcile this before it manifests and leads to something else because if the purpose of the Mosaic law is to be manifest in our hearts, if the purpose of the Old Testament commands of God are to be manifest in our hearts, in other words, don't just do physical uh, outward obedience, it has to literally change who we are. We can justify our anger too often by saying, well, at least I didn't kill him." Right? We try to justify, well, I'm angry with them, but at least I didn't hurt them. Jesus is making it very clear here, there is no difference. Because in 21 he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not Murder. But then verse 22, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother is liable to the judgment. Not just liable to the judgment of the civil authorities, but liable to the judgment of our supreme and holy, righteous, almighty God himself. That's what we've got to think about. It's important here. Why is this an issue? Because anyone that we have animosity toward, it's not just a simple person that we're angry with. You see, Jesus makes it clear here that murder of anyone is you're actually murdering the image of God. Genesis chapter 9 verses 5 through 6 say this, And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning from every beast I will require it and from man. For his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever, verse 6, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. If we are angry with one another, who are you ultimately angry with? God. If you harm an individual, you are literally harming God because we are made in His image. He loves His creation that much. When we abort unborn babies and we kill an innocent life like that, we're killing the image of God. That is something not to be taken lightly. You see what Jesus is saying here? He's not diminishing the importance of the Mosaic law, thou shalt not kill. No way is God replacing that at all. He's actually taking it deeper and more fulfilled and saying even if you have anger towards someone else, it's the same as physically killing them. More importantly, you're hurting God Himself Because that's a reflection of his image. Now, it's a double-tongued person who says, I love and worship God, yet has anger toward their neighbor or their family member or church member or their boss or an employee. (laughs) Right? But if we have any animosity or anger toward anybody, none of it is justified. Now, there is just killing. That's a different sermon altogether. There is, there is a re, God does give reasons for taking a life. If we're in war, if you're defending the innocent, those are, those are legitimate reasons to defend if necessary, but it should be the last resort. And when it does, if anyone has ever had to do that, I trust, trust me, they are torn up inside because they have done so. Anyone who has ever been in a combat zone understands how serious that is, and they don't want to be there. It's the last thing they want to do. Talk to our police officers who have to shoot somebody because they're trying to harm someone else, and their job is to protect the innocent, and in order to do so, they have to hurt someone else in the process. There are ramifications to that that are spiritual and eternal. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And so Jesus here is equating our emotions of anger with murder. So what is the source of our anger? Let's close with this. Let's go back to our call to worship today in James chapter 4. What is the source of... Because if we can figure out the source of our anger, maybe we can understand our spirit better and actually call upon the Lord to cleanse us of this. James chapter 4, verse 1, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. What is the source of anger? Selfishness. I'm not getting what I want. Can we say amen to that and be honest with that? What is the source of our anger towards someone else? We're not getting from them what we passionately think we rightly deserve. We are not; They're not doing what we want them to do. How many people have been angry with somebody because they're not doing what you want them to do? What is Jesus saying here? That is, if you're angry with someone because they're not obeying you, who are you to tell them what to do? Now, it could be that they are in the wrong, could be the person's in the wrong and they need to listen to you. But at the same time, why are you getting angry because someone's not hearing you? In other words, in other words you're angry with someone because they're not conformed to your image. You see the problem? The source of our anger is really selfishness. And and it's our passions, our emotions that control us. And, And God says that we are to control this with Christ. Christ helps us control these things. He purges them from us and makes us new. So what is it that leads to murder? It's our own selfish sin. So what is Jesus trying to get us to see here? Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Sorry. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. You see, we can justify any kind of anger toward anyone, just like the religious leaders, the rabbinic law added to the original Ten Commandments. They justified a lot of sin. And Jesus makes it real clear here in the Sermon on the Mount, those rabbis have distorted the original intent of God's law. Let me show you how much deeper this goes. He says here in verse 26, I'm sorry, verse 25 and 26. When we have animosity towards someone else, Jesus makes it clear. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. If you have a conflict with someone, a neighbor, a family member, someone in authority, a friend... Jesus says it is up to us in the image of Christ to reconcile. What does that reflect? If we are are made in the image of God and we reflect God's image, and then we are in Christ and so therefore we imitate Christ, what does that mean to be in the image of Christ? When we reconcile conflict with someone else, we are... Imitating, we are showing the image of Christ reconciling sinful fallen human beings with a loving, holy, and righteous God. Just like in a marriage situation where the bride and the groom reflect Christ and His bride, the church, same way here. When we, in our hearts, reconcile with someone else and the love of Christ extinguishes the flame of anger. We are reflecting God's holy wrath being satisfied through the blood of Christ and reconciling us with Him. Amen? Now that's a heavy thought, isn't it? (laughs) Next time you're angry with somebody, I want to ask you to be in meditative prayer and ask the Lord that the next time a anger flares up in you. Will God bring to your mind the fact? that that anger is going against the image of God and that any reconciliation that you can cause to happen through Christ with that person is a reflection of God's glory and you give Him honor in reconciliation and bringing peace. Do You remember in the Beatitudes, when we looked through the Beatitudes this summer, verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. That's one of the characteristics of the kingdom. There is no peace if there is anger and animosity toward one another. Now, every one of us in this room is guilty of losing our temper, at least once, somewhere, haven't we? The sign of the person in Christ is that if that were to happen, we feel so tormented by that outburst especially when that anger is unjustified. And the best way to heal that division, to heal that harm, is to ask for forgiveness and to reconcile. The number one problem in marriage counseling that I've uh, dealt with over the years is unresolved anger between a husband and a wife. Could have been stuff that happened... 20 years ago, but it still festers and flares up every now and then. How could reconciling that hurt and that pain be something that gives God glory? Because if we have anger towards someone, we're murdering them even though we're not physically killing them. No difference, according to our Lord. What is it that brings God glory? It's reconciliation. It's showing the love of Christ, forgiveness, and mercy. Amen. As we close out our worship time this morning, I want you to take this time and allow the Lord to speak into your heart. If, If God's Word has brought something up in you that you're wrestling with and, and God may be speaking to you in a personal way. This is the time to pray about that, to redeem that. I have, I'm i going to be leading this last song, uh, but if you need to come and do some prayer, you're welcome to come up here. If you need to stay where you are and just pray to the Lord where you are and ask the Lord to forgive you. And maybe when you leave here, maybe there's somebody you need to go contact and say, I have harbored hate toward you and I need to ask for your forgiveness. What is it that the Lord is speaking to you today? Let me close this in prayer, and then we'll close in one beautiful song, okay? Father God, we do praise You and thank You for Your Word. And oh Lord... Your law, your commandments of the Old Testament are still very much relevant and more so now than ever before, but you have given us the gift of your Son who has expanded the meaning of this original commands that you've given us that are still here. I thank you, Lord, that you've given us the the means to genuinely love you by being the imitation of Christ in this fallen world. That's a hard task. It's a high calling that is actually overwhelming. But through the blood of your Son and through the impartation of your Holy Spirit into our lives, you cleanse us, you make us new, his blood paid the price for our sin, and that reconciled the animosity between you and us. Can we not do the same with other people? I pray, God, that you would forgive us where we have failed you by harboring animosity towards someone else.
1: I pray, God, that
0: you would deal with us as need be But Lord, I pray that you would also grant us the privilege of reflecting the image of Christ even in this sin as it is forgiven and we are restored. Help us to restore relationships for your glory. Help us to be your people. May we bring you pleasure and bring you glory. Lord, this time is for you. Please deal with us where we are. May we sing praises to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.